I've always thought if the professionals were here on the front line where people like Debbie and myself are, if they could interact with these families when the emotions are most raw, they would be able to mitigate so much complicated grief two years from now. And when they are ready to place their baby in their resting spot, they do it. No one else, not a stranger, them. Welcome to Mothers of Held Angels, or as we say, MOHA. We are three dedicated and passionate moms who have lost babies to stillbirth and infant death. We formed a support group to help get through the dark days of grief. We touch on a variety of topics relating to life after loss, speak with experts, and enjoy healing conversations based on our own experiences. Don't forget to visit our website at www.mohanetwork.org for more information. And thank you for listening in. As the book of Matthew says, you are not alone here. Good morning, listeners. We are back with another episode. I'm really intrigued by this. It's There's so many different facets that come along with loss and the people that you're going to come across and meet. So this was just something that really pulled on my heartstrings and very interesting to me. Um, and so I really hope our listeners really hone in on this and the services that these um, lovely people are providing. But so we're here with Joseph J. Earthman Generations Funeral Home. We're in Houston, Texas. Um, We're here with Debbie Ross, who works with Mr. Joseph. Um, We're going to segue part of this episode into this beautiful explanation of how they got started via Mr. Joseph. Hi, I'm Joseph Earthman, and I'm the founder and owner of Joseph Earthman Generations Funeral Home here in Houston, Texas. We are one of the last family-owned funeral home establishments here in this part of the state, and we're here with our funeral director, Debbie Ross, who has been with us for how many years now, Debbie? Six. Six years. (laughs) Wow. So, um, And it's been a wonderful partnership. Um, We started this funeral home. I started my personal career in the early 90s. When I was a teenager, working at one of the family's cemeteries, Um, and I—that's where I started, and I just kind of moved my way up from there and to where we are today. Uh, The main driving force behind this place, this funeral home, is number one. The about twelve years ago, when I was putting together a business model, I was looking at what was available to families in terms of funeral needs and who the providers were and what were they providing. And I kind of determined that the last thing that Houston needed was another really big funeral home that because of the size and because of the overhead that comes with such a large facility, you have to charge quite a bit of money. And very often it is unaffordable for so many people especially post-pandemic. And so the intent was to keep our footprint modest so we can keep our overhead lower and so we don't need to charge as much. Uh, Because no matter what poetic story you 
create for a family if the chart if the services that you're offering to them are not affordable to them then you're not really providing any service to that family at all in fact you are probably exacerbating mm-hmm. a problem because you're reinforcing to them that they can't afford it and now that will create a host of other issues that have nothing to do with the funeral home and but that's not the point of the existence of the funeral home so we wanted to keep something that was very affordable with a nice facility that was more reflective of a home and less of a place of business. Um, But, and most importantly, one where we have the flexibility to do things like Debbie is doing, where we can pivot and move with the needs of the families and we can meet them on their emotional territory um, so that we can best serve their needs. And, and it's trial and error. I mean, this didn't just happen overnight, but because it was trial and error and because it did develop over a longer term, um, that tells me that it's here to stay. Um, you can't dismantle something that was organically grown as opposed to a group of funeral directors sitting around a table saying, okay, how can we get more of the young parent demographic? Okay, well, let's put together this program. It doesn't work that way. And the families know it. They know when you're being authentic and they know when you're not. So that's where we are today. And Debbie is the, she's a natural. And so we're very fortunate to have her. So what was your first thought um, when Debbie first approached you about this idea of you know, catering to the needs of infant families specifically. I was, I was blown over with gratitude because, and this is the truly high felt. I thought, thank goodness something is being taken off of my plate. (laughs) And uh, because as a business owner, you know, you, you tend to the needs of not just the families, but the needs of the building and the plumbing and the electrical and paying the taxes and making sure the insurance is done and any random person who happens to just walk in the front door. So when Debbie came up with these ideas that I never would have come up with, her ideas just were not in my mental wheelhouse. Um, I did my best and I think I did pretty good, but it was really only until Debbie took over that it really became impactful. So that was, it was gratitude was the first thing that came over me and I said, run with it. Wow. You know, we, it has to be, the funeral home has to be able to afford to provide the services. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, we won't do ourselves any good if we provide services that otherwise jeopardize our ability to serve other families. Right. Um, or to even be here for those families in the future. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there, um, so there is a little bit of a cost to things. Um, but I think we've managed to keep it so that we're able to continue and provide good services for the family. Have you ever worked with any organizations that come in and help with the financial cost of the funeral? One thing that I, would, I think not a lot of people know, maybe it's worthwhile, maybe it's not, 
is I've reached out to a lot of the, and I'm not going to name any names, but I've reached out to a lot of established grief therapy organizations and we get zero response from them. Knowing, I've always thought if the professional, if the professionals were here on the front line where people like Debbie and myself are, if they could interact with these families when the emotions are most raw, mm-hmm. they would be able to mitigate so much complicated grief two years from now. I don't know if it's, there's a stigma of why would we talk to a funeral director when we're the ones with all the education? Well, and you just wrapped up our whole mission in those few sentences, because when we came together, we were like, there's got to be a better way than us meeting me six years down the line at the time, you two years down the line, and you had just lost Eden Grace. Mm -hmm. We were sitting there going, there were so many things from the moment we found out our babies were no longer living that could have, like someone could have stepped in Mm -hmm. and held our hand and walked us through it. And that is our mission. Mm -hmm. But but even you know before us it was the funeral homes like mm-hmm. my first meaningful interaction and memory of Carter was with the funeral home director and we were literally given a list of funeral homes from the hospital and they said you know whatever your needs are I didn't know what my needs were. I didn't know who I was going to meet on the other end of that. I happened to meet a very compassionate woman who walked me through those steps. She was the first one in that cascade who like sat down with me and I felt actually cared. And that's what y'all are doing. And that is beautiful because it is not common from what we've, what no. we've experienced. No. So. So if another funeral home director is hearing this podcast and you could give one simple word of advice on implementing something similar to what you have started here, what would you do? What would you say to them? The single most important aspect I think is you need to find one person and let them go. Meaning let them determine who that person is going to be. And you can base it on need or availability of staff members. So for example, it was just me and Debbie, so <laughs> it was like, Debbie, guess what? <laughs> Here you go. Uh, but she just naturally ran it, with it. It yeah. Nat- yeah. comes very natural to her and her personality. And so, but it's not something that you can, you can't have a monthly funeral home meeting and you've got your room full of staff and say, okay, guys and gals, we're going to start this very, very, highly emotional, highly nuanced um, program that mainly the next of kin are people in their 20s and it doesn't fit with social media because it's so difficult for people to reach out and they don't even know, most people don't even know how to extend um, a condolence when the child is was miscarried or maybe they lived for just a few days or a few weeks. I mean, people are so in shock that they, they don't know how to respond. So the worst part is they don't respond. Mm-hmm. They disappear. They disappear. And so now you're a mother. You might feel that there's something wrong with you because you can't even keep a child alive. And great, now everybody has abandoned me. 
And it's not that they've really abandoned you. It's because they're such in shock that they don't know how to respond. Mm -hmm. And so, so you really need one person dedicated to that because the families also need one person to talk to. Mm -hmm. You know, if they have to, every time they call the funeral home, if they had to retell that story, it just, Mm -hmm. it gets exhausting. So have one person dedicated to it. And like any other service that you're offering, make sure you have a way to monitor it. Um, make sure the families are, are finding value and, and getting, getting what they need from our services and just start there. But have one person. Don't have a committee. Um, have one person. That person needs to be very mature. Uh, but they also need to be um, upbeat and be able to keep things moving along. Um, and so they need to have a, a, a sense of maturity. You, do you think that there, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you mm-hmm. off, but do you think there, uh, it's um, not imperative, but it is helpful when that one person may potentially be a mother I, that they absolutely. can then empathize what that family is going mm-hmm. through, connect on a different level. Absolutely. As a dad, I be a parent, I guess I should say. Yeah. They're a parent. (laughs) Um, it definitely, it definitely helps my, my personal perspective immediately changed the day my son was born Mm -hmm. when it comes to children and the death of children, you know, because parents, we, we literally feel that we are living to protect them Mm -hmm. and to help them and to nurture them and, and keep them healthy. And so, so, while it's certainly not a prerequisite to be a parent, it, I think it would definitely help. Okay. Um, but again, you got to have somebody with maturity um, because they have to be able to be compassionate but also keep things moving because that's what the family also needs to. You know, they need a shoulder to cry on, but they also need somebody who's got the strength to press forward and, and make sure the important decisions are being made. And that's why Debbie is such a perfect combination of all of that. Debbie, would you tell us a little bit about how you got started in this business, how long you've been doing this, and your segue kind of into um, baby loss? Actually, uh, Joseph's wife is one of my best friends on this planet. And so, um, so that's how it really did begin. Um, he needed someone to translate for a Hispanic family and I speak Spanish. And so I started with that and then as needed, oh, we need extra help here. And then it just ramped into more services, different, um, elements, um, as he needed things, um, he, and it just, the opportunity to return back to school, at that time my twins were super tiny, and uh, the window of opportunity opened up um, with the help of Joseph Earthman um, Generations Funeral Home. They helped finance me going back to school, as well as if I needed babysitting, we had Nanny to take care of the twins, and so it was just a really we knew we worked well together and um we are two different personalities that are just kind of blend and really help boost each other's personalities especially for families um that's so unique that this is a family-owned business and y'all are not blood relatives but still family right we're family 
in within the four walls of the funeral home as well as outside. Um, and Nanny is his mother-in-law. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> and neighbors. Yeah. And neighbors. We're, we're five houses and a street away from each other. <laughs> no way. And we used to live two doors down from each other. Oh, but, um, but yeah, wow. we're very close. And I have to say then, like when you are, when you're in an environment where you're working and mm-hmm. if you see our preview on our website, you'll see what their funeral home looks like, but it feels like a home. Mm-hmm. Talking with you and Mr. Earthman feels mm-hmm. like a family, mm-hmm. and I I can feel how families that come in are comforted are by comforted that. and feel like they're in a family. Especially as Mr. Earthman was saying, if they're feeling abandoned, what better way than to walk in and feel like you're in a home with a family that you can see loves each other, yeah, mm-hmm. um, but then will also care for yeah. you. I mean, that's mm-hmm. something. Mr. Earthman said organic, and we, we, we talk about all the that time. term oh, because so Moha was organically formed from this, from Three this friendships. common yes. From a need. And yes. they talk about needs so much. If you watch the preview video or, or heard Mr. Earthman, he talks about knowing the family's needs or listening to the family's needs. And that's, I mean, what better way than to organically come to that? And Moha did the same, I feel. Well, that's what's so beautiful about us aligning with this funeral home and wanting to understand and get to know your process uh, a little bit deeper and then share it with our network is we find that our missions line up so um, naturally Mm -hmm. and we love that, that y'all want to create this sense of comfort for these families as soon as possible. And that's exactly what we're trying to accomplish is when mom finds out about her loss, we want to be that pillar of strength for her from day one. And I love that you're also creating that environment for her. Yeah. Mine with it Mm -hmm. as the director of the infant program here, Mm -hmm. tell us about your opinion on how infant burials should be approached by a funeral home from start. Well, one, I wouldn't want to force anyone in any direction. Um, um, I've mentioned before that it's in the initial conversation you have with the parents because it's not all. You're, I'm not always speaking with mom. Some most of the time, I'm speaking with dad, who is going through and experiencing this from the outside. He's not feeling what mom's body is going through. He's he. It's not he didn't feel baby kick he mm-hmm. didn't feel he's on the outside so he's trying to fix and he's trying to to make things right for mom and so I would say 80% of the the parent I speak to is dad and it's not until we have the dressing ceremony we'll touch that a little bit later that I don't even meet mom until that day and it's dad who needs that guidance because a lot of times mom is guiding the whole pregnancy and making the decisions, and now she can't emotionally, physically, just she just can't. And so he wants to be able to do that for her and not disappoint her because it's already too heavy. And so when I speak with them, I help him lift that weight a little bit off the shoulder just to make sure that because if he's comfortable, mom sees he's comfortable, then she knows he's taken care of, and that she doesn't have to be the leader of this very important element. She's going to have trust. And so 
It starts with the first conversation. And so based on their, based on that conversation, we already know which direction we're going to be going. You have two choices. We have burial or cremation. And from there, it just kind of. That was one of my questions that I kind of, when I was listening to you speak earlier, was um, for a family who has never had any experience with a funeral home, maybe they haven't lost a close loved one or haven't attended a funeral even, when a family calls you, and we get this question a lot in different forms, what can they expect? What questions should they ask if the person on the other, the funeral home director on the other end of the line just gives them a few options say they're not as they don't have a program like Mm -hmm. you do for the family for the dad who calls what should they request or ask i would say to let them know what you need out of the service and then from there to see what that funeral home offers and then throw in a suggestion we didn't start doing the dressing ceremony until after we had several requests to have their baby home and spend the night at home Mm -hmm. because in a different country they go home they Mm -hmm. stay home until the day of the burial and there's no law against it we do the preparation joseph and i we will drive to the family's home and if we see that they didn't have they didn't have time to get a crib we've got one upstairs we put it together we create a nursery we move the coffee table or the and we create a little nursery so their baby can be at their home wow. and then the very next morning joseph and i we go and we dismantle dismantle and we help the family place their baby into the casket and then we go from there such an interesting god wink and amazing Yet another alignment of our missions mm-hmm. is um, when we met the Cuddlecott executives, mm-hmm. and they're based out of the UK. They have a very different process for families that have just experienced a loss. They're asked one of two questions. Do you want to meet baby, spend time with baby, and then do you want to take baby home? Mm-hmm. And so not only are there multiple cuddle cots on the labor and delivery unit, but then they are offered to then take baby home and have a cuddle cot in their home. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll touch again, like you said in, in our preview, that the deterioration process happens fast. Mother nature takes its course very quickly. Mm-hmm. And so we slow down that process and we try to slow down that time with the cuddle cot. So how amazing would it be that the standard of care, another thing that we're really trying to um, create and then pass along to all these hospitals is how these mothers are treated. How amazing would it be that the standard of care then becomes it's put back into mom's hands. The decisions are made by mom and she can make that decision to bring baby home for a day or two. Mm -hmm. Can I stop right here? I was unaware. Yeah. Can we wrap our minds around that? I was very unaware that we, that was a choice to bring your baby home. Are you saying Debbie, like from the hospital, not directly. Yeah. 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 Okay. So So do you bring the baby to their home? So, because Mother Nature does take its course, we do have to do preparation. Okay. And I know um, embalming is almost, a lot of people don't want that very strong chemical on their very delicate child, mm-hmm. but it's a super high disinfectant, basically. And we want to remove as much bacteria, good or bad. It's part of nature. And 
that bacteria is there to be nature. And so if we can remove as much of that off from that point, then baby is ready to go home. Wow. So you do after so you're the embalming. doing the preparation work mm-hmm. yeah. to transition from the hospital mm-hmm. to home. So hospital preparation, and then, you know, everything mm-hmm. is, as, we move as fast as we possibly can. Mm-hmm. And we make an appointment and we make sure that we're there before the, if we say we're going to be there at six o'clock, we're there a little bit earlier because we know the anxiety of just waiting if we're two minutes past five o'clock, you know, there's a lot of anxiety. So if we say we're going to be there at five, we try to get there by four, even if they might not be ready. There's not, the anxiety is not on us that we were letting them down. We just want them to be as comfortable as possible. And before we enter their home, we've already had a heart to heart conversation. We've already spoken, you know, mom's still in the hospital. They're talking to me in the hospital. So when we meet, the only thing that is new is what we look like. But our voices, our hearts, compassion, we already know each other by the time we get to their home. So to reiterate, Mm -hmm. you are allowing mom to come home and see her baby at home. Mm -hmm. You are the middleman. You're creating the process of getting baby ready. And so mom can then come home and see baby. If that was, if that was requested, if that's what they, you know, Mm -hmm. if that was the first thing that came out of their heart, because your throat is very close to your heart. A lot of times we have Mm -hmm. to text because it's just, you can't talk. It's too close. So texting is most of the time is how we communicate. But when they have enough strength to speak to me about this very strong feeling then it's something that she needs. Yeah. And well, I think I, we hit a, hit this a lot is that moms don't even know in that moment that that's what they need. And so hindsight's twenty twenty. A lot of us talk about that. It's like I shoulda, coulda, woulda. If I'd have known, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things I would have changed. And that's the whole purpose of our mission is to let moms and families know what their options are, right. that this is an option. It is an option with you, but is it an option with every funeral home? Um, I can't speak for other funeral homes. I know it's an option here. We do have to make an assessment mm-hmm. before we mm-hmm. can say 100% yes. Okay. We like, we, I know what your desire, what you want and what you need. Let our technician mm-hmm. make an assessment mm-hmm. and based on their assessment, we will move forward or awesome. we will make an adjustment. If we can't be at your house, then spend the night here. We've had families wow. spend the night here. And it does look like a home. It's a beautiful home. <clears throat> because they, one, they couldn't bring baby home just for whatever reason, but they could be here overnight and be here with the sunrise and just have breakfast here and, you know, and just mm-hmm. make this into their home. It's, it's whatever they need. If we don't, if we can't say no. Anna's sitting here I'm with like, her I mouth know, wide our, open. Our jobs are on right the table. This is, this is like, I think this was maybe in our five-year plan of, of working addressing, with funeral homes. Of addressing yeah. funeral homes and, and, re- and throwing out this crazy idea that you could meet a mom at their house with their baby. And here there is a funeral home doing this 
the whole time. I'm so and envious. Kevin and I wish I would have known. Kevin I and Steph at Cuddlecott had talked about coming to the U.S. to a, to talk directly with funeral homes about doing this because Steph was saying there's a lot of misinformation and miscommunication about what the laws are. For each and state, she's going yeah. through each state one by one. They don't even live here. She's going each state one by one, figuring out what the laws are and what barriers the funeral homes and or families have to bringing their home, child mm-hmm. home with them to spend that time with them and so sorry (laughs) I guess why we why this is such an interesting hot topic to us not only have are probably the three of us very envious that we didn't get to experience Mm -hmm. this but that we could change that stigma Mm -hmm. that this is this is a potential and so um your grief journey and that's a huge part of our mission is we want to we want to be in your face and a resource for a mom from the moment of her loss on because we want to create a great foundation mm-hmm. to be able to start your grief journey and walking this journey with healing mm-hmm. and Anna talks about being able to pull memories from the hospital five months down the road, five years down the road, and, yep. and you're creating this healthy environment and setting up this mom for success down the road, how different so many moms' journeys would be if they were given this option to spend an hour at home with baby and to mm-hmm. meet siblings and yep. sit in their nursery and create a bond with that child. And take Just, footprints. Yeah, yeah. Molding, yeah. and it's I, we've done it here where they just don't know what else to do. So I'll bring out the ink. Here are pads. Here's a wooden chip in the shape of a heart. You want to see if we can get a good print of their foot on this. And it's sometimes they need, it, they need a little guidance. But once they warm up to it, they are they take over their time with their child and I walk away and it's and you're, and give you're it back not to them. just providing yeah. a service you're providing an experience mm-hmm. and and an, a healthy segue into the bereavement grieving process for that family and it's I say beautiful I mean I, I am is. just lacking words and how to describe mm-hmm. how meaningful that really is yeah and you know as three moms have lost like we we have no idea what we need in that moment. And when you are saying you're gently guiding them, I had a nurse that helped me through my days in the hospital and she gently guided me. And every step she recommended or she suggested something, my first reaction was like, I can't do that. Mm -hmm. Like I thought, no, I can't, I don't have the strength to do that. And so when it is said to you one time, twice, do you want to try or let's try taking footprints if you didn't get them in the hospital? Mm -hmm. Because I guarantee you most moms, if they didn't have a nurse like Mm -hmm. I did that gently guided you through that process, Mm -hmm. they did not do that in the hospital Mm -hmm. because our first reactions are, no, I cannot, I cannot do this with my dead baby. You know, Mm -hmm. as as horrible, as crass as that sounds, you just, you don't think you have the strength. Mm -hmm. Once you're out of the hospital and your brain has, and you, you mentioned this a little bit before, which we can start talking about, but once your brain starts to catch up with your body, you start to realize, Oh wait, 
-hmm. I do want those footprints. I do want those things. And to know that you are on, you're like the bereavement nurse on the other side of the hospital. It's exactly what is needed because most moms are saying no in the hospital. And like Brittany was saying, then you find yourself in a support group three years down the line around women who've had this amazing experience and And you're stuck with Mm -hmm. what you have. And, and then you're trying to grow from these memories that are traumatic and not healing. Mm -hmm. And if we can just start with healthy memories and beautiful memories, Mm -hmm. like our world at this, the women in our world can heal appropriately. Right. We talk about creating a standard of care across the board for moms in the hospital, whether they have a a educated bereavement nurse or not. Mm -hmm. Um, And you're essentially doing that with your program here. You're setting the standard for what it should be at every funeral home, every, you know, service that is provided for parents after they lose their child should experience something as meaningful and compassionate and comforting as yours, because I just, we're so blown away. We are. (laughs) We really are. So I want us to dive into the, the details of what you do here. Um, you've mentioned the dressing ceremony a couple times. Mm-hmm. Do you mind going into a little more in depth um, what that means and what they get to experience in this room that we're sitting in right now? Yes, I would love to. Um, the dressing ceremony is was created because I saw a lot of hesitation, a lot of like, you know, when you look at someone and you see questions surfacing their brain, but they don't want to speak too much. Um, I found that by introducing the dressing ceremony and allowing the parents to, one, see their child, not immediately in the casket, and creating a bridge from the hospital to seeing them again. You know, their baby is in a Moses basket, it's made of bamboo and willow, but it's very organic. The, the lining is even just pure cotton. Their child will be resting there. And when they approach the Moses basket at their own pace, their own cadence, they'll see baby wrapped in a, a blanket like the little burrito mm-hmm. <laughs> and in a white onesie. Um, and it gives them the opportunity to dress their child in their resting clothes. Not a stranger, not someone behind the closed door. How did they get the dress on her? How did they put on those pants? Who, you know, who changed their last diaper? They're not gonna have that because they have the opportunity to do that for their baby. We do prepare, we give baby a bath because nature still moves around. And so we wanna make sure that baby is presented to mom and to dad. Um, as they would expect to see their baby. Mm-hmm. And so they, they'll carry their, their baby, and if they wanted to, walk over to a dressing table, which is not too far away from the Moses basket. And while they're changing, <clears throat> they're dressing their baby, um, depending on the route that we're taking, either cremation or burial. If they've, the burial is what's chosen, um, I will swap out the Moses basket and put the casket in its place. And so when they're ready, it doesn't have to be immediately after baby is ready and dressed, They, but it's there. They see the casket, and when they are ready to 
place their baby in their resting spot. They do it. No one else, not a stranger, them. And can I say <clears throat> that you have this kind of beautiful area that would be more of like the chapel like mm-hmm. experience. Yeah. And then behind it, it definitely feels more like a home because we're sitting at a table, but it feels more like a living room behind us. Yeah. Moms I'm sure kind of want to sit and bask in what baby looks like mm-hmm. and how that outfit looks on them. Do, are they able to take the opportunity to come back in this living room type setting and get more comfortable and yeah. settle in? And they carry baby, they walk around, they whatever they need. We have a patio in the back if they want to sit and it's beautiful outside, the breeze is blowing. It's whatever they need. However, it's um, there's no rules that... I'm not going to tell them no if that's something that they need. Have you received any feedback on how meaningful or pivotal that was for them to be the one who got to do that in the dressing ceremony versus a funeral home director or someone that they haven't known very long? Yes. I've, it's, I constantly get messages, pictures, phone calls, and we're friends. It's, I don't know how else, but yes. I've, I constantly have, even the sister of the mother reaches out. Um, the mother of the, of the daughter mm-hmm. reaches out. Um, so we, yeah, we talk a lot about moms, but you're really touching like anyone who, ha- who witnesses it. Absolutely. Who is there. Mm-hmm. You know. Their support group. Exactly. And I think when we were walking around, I could just envision my kids coming mm-hmm. in here mm-hmm. and meeting Lillian. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, Let's just rephrase that at home first, yeah. you know, <laughs> a, first, that would be amazing. But having, bringing my kids into here, this atmosphere, having it feel like they are welcome mm-hmm. and, um, as well as m- my in-laws and my, cu- and I, I have a big family, like just to feel like this is not a ceremony, quote unquote, you know, yeah. like a formal ceremony. This is come over and meet my baby the organic Mm -hmm. development of seeing your baby come over and dress my baby come over and hold my baby come over and you know pictures yeah because more than likely you weren't in the hospital with Mm me and if I'm going to be talking about my baby for the rest of my life I want to make sure you know my baby too Mm -hmm. you know and that this just provides that Mm -hmm. so so well you know it's it's incredible it really is So how often do you get the support system in? Is it mostly just the parents that come in, or do you get extended family a lot? Um, it's a mix. Okay. I, I don't tally. I, okay. It's a, it's a mixture. Um, some parents want to make it more than just a private dressing ceremony. Mm-hmm. Um, some want to, and then expand it, extend it to a public visitation but we still treat it as a private dressing ceremony and I always say okay that's fine but let's take the first hour and it's your hour you invite everybody else after because I want you to have time to process this moment because once people start arriving you automatically turn into a host and it pulls you away Mm. for the real reason why you're here so true that's important Mm -hmm. i want our listeners and anybody who comes across us to hear that so repeat it again because it's Mm -hmm. really important that they know that it's you're slowing it down and saying 
because you do you turn into the host anna said this before people say i'm so sorry for your loss and then you're all of a sudden comforting the person and you're the one who lost their your baby so Mm -hmm. that's right kind of goes in line with that yeah so just that idea of um giving the giving your time before you introduce your baby absolutely to again yet another alignment of our mission is that's what we want mothers to take is we want to give them the gift of time Mm -hmm. in the hospital to create memories to let people come visit and you're doing the exact same thing Mm -hmm. that's beautiful Mm -hmm. absolutely actively in that moment so my i have a i probably have a silly question and we don't even have to have this on recording but so we Mm -hmm. use the we we bring the cuddle cot to hospitals and Mm -hmm. we're you know we we donate cuddle cots or we're just we're advocates for the idea of spending as much time as you can in the hospital with your yeah. baby without your baby being taken down to the morgue and yeah. back or or the bassinet being filled with ice bags <clears throat> and this and that yeah is is a cooling process still needed after you clean embalm. the baby embalm the baby it's recommended but okay. yeah it's the embalming fluid is so thick that it won't go through all the vessels and so it's typically just an outside treatment an internal so it is highly recommended and you know we always guide our families for the sleepovers to have a cooling pad underneath and change Mm -hmm. out and just kind of keep things on the cooler side turn down the ac you know just interesting to preserve or slow it down absolutely well we'll we'll just let you know right now we we own a cuddle cot Mm -hmm. in our organization so if there are if there are times where you do have families that need that, we would love to come and help you with that, and we would mm-hmm. love to bring it, and and just leave it overnight. And if right. they choose to have that cooling bassinet with their baby, like that's that's yeah. what we're here to yeah, do. Yeah, we right. learned you know? recently how versatile it is. Mm-hmm. Brittany's talked a lot about that about using the smaller pad or even the larger pad and not just having it in the Moses basket, but to have it on the bed or the couch mm-hmm. or I'm saying couch because yeah. we're in a living room space yeah. here. Yeah. yeah. Some hospitals have couches, <clears throat> yeah. but yeah. It would be, so we just, yeah. you know, the, this is what we want to do, yeah. basically. Yeah. We want to work with funeral homes. We want to work with hospitals. We want to work in these beginning moments. To provide to heal healing experience mm-hmm. versus traumatic. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I just want to thank you so much. You're very really, well. Debbie. One last thing. Oh, really yes, Helen, go ahead. Um, can you tell me about a specific family where their ceremony, rituals, experience here inspired you or led you to change your practice as the director of the infant program? Um, I would say it wasn't really the services that we provided it was it was a few um back-to-back families that when we were at the graveside and the mother's the parents threw themselves with the dirt and they're just clinging on because they weren't quite ready they didn't have a strong enough bridge to get them to the graveside that's where it started they need more time they need to be able to be 
part, to be part of getting their child ready for that moment. Mm-hmm. Because the more, and I, and I do this with the, the older families, right? So grandma, she's, we have a um, granddaughter who always did grandma's hair. I invite her, hey, I'm going to give it grandma ready. She'll be ready for her hair if you want to come and help me with her hair. The more the families participate in getting their loved ones ready for their their day. Mm-hmm. I see the bridge is has it the foundation is solid. They can walk mm-hmm. over. It's not going to break. They'll get there. It's still going to be a steep bridge, sure. mm-hmm. but it's not going to break under that under them, especially at the hardest moment when that first grain of sand hits that casket Mm -hmm. it's the loudest Mm -hmm. sound Mm -hmm. and it's the most heartbreaking and if that bridge is not solid it's that one little grain of sand I have to um I do have to share this because my husband and I they you know we were given the option to leave before they put the dirt onto Mm -hmm. the casket but my husband and I did not want to do that and now I will say I did you know we've talked about this I did get to make memories with Lillian. I did get to have that time. I did wait to do the funeral when I was feeling a little better. You know, like I did choose time a little bit more. And I remember when that first, from the first shovel of dirt onto Lillian's coffin to the very end, that first shovel was the hardest. You know, it was like you said, loud. It was a dagger. And when it was complete, my husband and I were able to embrace knowing we did everything we could Mm -hmm. do Mm -hmm. to that point. And walking away with my baby being buried, finally at rest, knowing that my husband and I did everything we could, Mm -hmm. brought on a grace in my heart that I keep with me to this day. And so when you talk about that bridge, that's all I can think about is it's that bridge from the first shovel of dirt Mm -hmm. to the last. And those memories and that time is what can get you there. You know, it's just so true. Yeah. It's just so true. And the work that you're doing is, it's it's beautiful. It's outstanding. Please keep doing it. Please inspire others to do it. We can't thank you enough for what you're doing for families of loss. to show our appreciation by recognizing one of our sponsors, Talus Energy. Talus aims to provide energy solutions that positively influences our local communities. Please visit our website at mohanetwork.org to find out how you can become a platinum partner today and secure a spot on our growing network.